I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm your guest host, Lee Lonsberry. I'm joined in studio uh, by a man I'm very fond of. It's Utah's 2nd District Representative Chris Stewart. Uh, uh, Congressman, you and I have interacted in this context once before. I'm not sure if you remember, I earlier was talking to uh, reporter Mary Richards uh, about a trip that Doug Wright and I took out to Washington, D.C. This is when I was uh, an employee yep. uh, here at KSL. Uh, the, the, the big picture is I, I currently am uh, uh, a congressional staffer. I work for Rob Bishop, and uh, I'm filling in here uh, at KSL. And doing a great job. You think so? Is it all yeah, right? Absolutely. I'm a little self-conscious. No, doing a great job. It's all right. Well, you interact with folks in this position often, so you, you're, you're a qualified man to tell me such. Well, and, and I do remember the incident that you're about to describe, and it seems like forever ago, but it was not that long ago, five, five or six years, I guess. Yeah, at the World War II Memorial. You yeah. and I spoke uh, uh, as you visited with World War II veterans visiting uh, their memorial as uh, participants in the Honor, Play, Honor yeah. Flight Program. Yep. It's one of the great honors I get to do in D.C. as as a U.S. congressman to go down and welcome some of those from our state in Honor Flight. And what an incredible program. And it's had such a positive impact on so many people in their lives and thanking these veterans. You, sir, a veteran yourself, do you find that when when you personally are interacting with them that they, there's an extra level of appreciation or understanding well, or brotherhood? Uh, there probably is on my part, at least. I, I don't know if they feel the same way, but I think probably they do. And just the sense that veterans have an immediate bond. It's just something that it, it, it's there. And it's it, by the way, it's it's intergenerational. Uh, you know, when I meet these soldiers and sailors and airmen who served in, you know, my father's generation, World War II pilot, um, and, you know, we immediately feel like we have something in common, even though we might be 40 or 50 years apart in age. If I'm honest with you, I envy that a great deal. Yeah. Uh, my my sister is on her way to OCS, but has spent the last number of years as a, a drill sergeant. Uh, my, my father was in the, the Army for four years. My brother-in-law has served three tours. Uh, another brother-in-law of mine has served in the Navy, and I and I haven't. Yeah. And I, I don't like to look at life in terms of regrets. But if I could go back and rewrite uh, one of my own storylines, I, uh, I think I would have done what I could to join your brotherhood. Well, and I, so let me share something real quickly. It's not why I'm here, but since you brought it up, sure. I, my senior year of college, I expected to go to law school. That's what I thought I was going to do. I was preparing and applying to law schools, and and I wear my father's Air Force wings. He was a pilot in World War II, as I said, and he mentioned to me once, hey, Chris, I think you'd enjoy being in the Air Force, but I was young and rebellious and thought, well, that's a stupid idea, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. Uh, but I sat and watched the F-16s take off at Hill Air Force Base, and I thought, that's what I really want to do. I want to serve, and I want to fly jets. And I went home to my wife and said, hey, instead of going to law school, how would you feel about uh, going into the Air Force? And she's like, that's a terrible idea. I mean, why would we want to do that? But my point is this. We both loved it. The thing that you just described, we both loved it. We miss it still. It was some of the happiest years of our life, and we just feel so honored to have served. Well, I admire you for it, sir. I'm grateful for your service. The, the, the reason I brought you in here today, you, sir, are a member of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. 
what does that mean? What's yeah. the what's the mandate to that for that committee? Well, it is the greatest committee in Congress, and it really is. I mean, it's a select committee in the sense that it's much smaller than the other committees, very, very difficult to get on. But we have a mandate, which is quite a bit different. We have access to the same intelligence that the president does. The presidential daily brief, we, we view and, and have that time, for, with, a, with a very few exceptions. Um, and it's, it's just the most fascinating work. But I tell you, Lee, I'm reminded all the time. I spent, uh, I don't know, 10 or 11 days uh, last week and, and before in Europe and Egypt and the Gulf states and an aircraft carrier on the Persian Gulf uh, or in the Persian Gulf, primarily talking about Iran. And you come back from that visit, and there's two things that I always feel every time I'm compelled to feel this way. Every time I come back, I go, God bless America. I'm so grateful for this country and how unbelievably blessed we are to live here. And the second thing I think is if it were not for the United States, the world is in deep, deep trouble. I mean, in many ways, the world is in deep trouble anyway. But if the United States isn't there to lead, if we're not that foundation of stability and that example to the rest of the world, oh my gosh, the world crumbles underneath us. And uh, every time I go overseas, I'm reminded of that. Talk to me, please, about this trip. They call it in in Congress speak a Codel. Codel. Uh, y- yeah. You traveled overseas. You made a number of visits. What were you hoping to learn? Uh, with whom did you interact? And where did you travel? Yeah. So it's a little bit different than most Codels. Codel stands for Congressional Delegation, which means you know members of Congress and the Senate, and sometimes a mix of us. And generally, we travel with you know five or six or ten of us and and some staff. Uh, all of my Intel travel or almost all of it is by myself. I take some staff members and some security and just myself. And, and that's because we're going places and we're doing things that a lot of people wouldn't have access to. And they're very specific. So for example, a couple of years ago, I'm on the border of Syria when we are in the midst of the problems there with ISIS and others looking at programs we're spending a boatload of money on. I'm talking, you know, over in some billions of dollars. And we're looking at this covert operation and, and program and asking, is it worth the money? Should we continue to spend this money? And, uh, you know, you feel a tremendous responsibility to come back and make a recommendation on that program and, and to get it right, because lives literally will depend on the decision we make. In this case, the thing that we've been talking about when it talks about national security quite intensely over the last three or four months has been Iran, obviously, and some of their activities in the Persian Gulf, the mining of the of the ships, you know, the capturing of ships, uh, you know, the the things they're doing to stir up problems and to make it so you can't safely navigate through the Straits of Hormuz. And so, again, on the aircraft carrier, watching their operations as they're trying to counter that, send a message to Iran. And uh, it's, like I said, it's it's very, very satisfying work. You see uh, the, the stories of the, the, the Iran efforts to, 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 to hijack some of these ships uh, and to pose a real threat that you describe here. Though you'll find some that are doubting that. They say maybe that's not actually a threat. What's the reality? Well, it's just nonsense for someone to say that. I mean, my heavens, we have a significant portion of the world's energy travels through the Straits of Hormuz to, to both east and west. Asia is, is more dependent on it than any other Western nation and, and primarily Europe. And by the way, as a complete sidebar, but thank heaven the United States has become so energy independent. I mean, that's a miracle for us because we would be paying three or four times the amount for a gallon of gasoline than we are right now were it not for that fact. But, uh, you know, the other thing that some people say is that, well, it's not really Iran that's causing the problems here. These were false flags. This was some kind of nefarious covert activity. Well, that's, again, it's just nonsense. Very clearly they are. I mean, the, the evidence of that is, is irrefutable. Plus, just common sense says, of course they are. They're, they're trying to send a message. They're trying to do what they've been doing for generations, and uh, they're actually pretty good at it. And you look at Hamas and, 
and some of the terror organizations that they uh, that they fund and support, the Quds Force, which of course is their own uh, military paramilitary organization that is essentially a terrorist organization, and you know they reap and sow uh, chaos and death and destruction everywhere, and this is just an extension of that. And there's a, there's a role for U.S. intervention to mitigate these threats. Yeah, there is. And, you know, we have to be delicate in that. We have to be thoughtful. And we can't be the world's policeman. As a former military guy, I know how hard we've worked our military. I know how hard we've, the demands we put on our military families. Uh, I have a nephew I'm very proud of, and, and he's been deployed again and again and again. And I look at his wife and therefore small children, and I know how hard it is for them. And so you have to balance those concerns with this other reality that we've discussed earlier, and that is the United States has to lead. Whether we want to or not, we have to lead on this. And if we're not willing to lead, then the world uh, becomes a very dark and a very dangerous place, even more so. So I think it's just responsibility that most of us accept, although maybe reluctantly, but let's do it right. And the Persian Gulf is a great example of that. If we don't lead there, Canada's not. The UK will a little bit. Well, they sent one ship down, one ship. And, and, and that's not going to change the dynamics there. And of course, Russia wants to make things worse and not better. And you just go down the list of nations and it just comes once again. The U.S. has got to help fix this or it won't it won't get fixed and it'll get worse. Thank you for that. Uh, we've been speaking here to Second District Congressman Chris Stewart. He's given us some information about his recent travels and the clear and present threats that uh, are, are are out there and the United States' role in, in mitigating those threats and some rationale behind that. Uh, he's been kind enough to stick around for one more segment. He has another effort uh, he's undertaken, and that is to provide for those who, who feel some serious mental health challenges uh, on the verge of suicide, maybe, uh, a resource for them, a way for them to very easily and simply uh, reach out uh, for help. So, Congressman, I'm grateful to you for sticking around. We're going to talk to you after this news break. Uh, this is Inside Sources, and I'm your guest host, Lee Lonsberry, here on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm your guest host, Lee Lonsberry. Uh, let me just say real quickly, it's been an honor and a privilege to be spending these past three days with you. I worked here for a long time under the great Doug Wright, and to be sitting in the chair he sat in, speaking into his microphone, it's really been exciting and thrilling, and if I'm honest, uh, humbling and intimidating. <laughs> Uh, especially when I speak to, to folks uh, of such caliber as uh, Congressman Chris Stewart. He represents uh, Utah's 2nd District. He's joined us in, in, in the preceding uh, segment talking to us about some of his international travels with his uh, responsibilities uh, with the, the Select Committee on Intelligence. We're going to shift gears, though, pretty significantly here and talk about 
resources available to to folks uh, who face either mental illness or just the challenges of life that might lead them to consider suicide. Yeah. Sir, what have you been up to? Well, this is, I think, one of my proudest accomplishments in my time I've been able to, been honored to serve in Congress, and that is to create the National Suicide Prevention Hotline number. And that's been our goal for, you know, about three years now. And and I'll maybe preface it with some information that I don't think is going to surprise everyone, but it will surprise a lot of people. Every 12 minutes, someone in the country commits suicide. And, and if I speak to a large group of people and I ask them, how many of you have someone that is close to you, a family member or someone that is in your, in your circle of people that you love who have, who have experienced suicide? I mean, most of us will raise our hands now. And three or four or five years ago, not so much is because we didn't talk about it. And people were, you know, for various reasons, just didn't, didn't acknowledge it like we do now. And I'm glad we're having this conversation. It turns out it's a problem everywhere, and it's, and it's a problem here in Utah. But if you're in the middle of a mental health crisis, if you're contemplating suicide or you realize that one of your children or someone that you love is, you need help. And the problem is there's a suicide prevention hotline number, but no one knows what it is. And it's different in Salt Lake than it is in St. George than it is in New York or around the country. So we wanted to create a three-digit number that everyone would know. And uh, that's what we've been trying to do. As I said, it's taken us about three years. Uh, But we're in the final stages now. That number is going to be 988 and we'll be able to advertise across the country, 988, National Suicide Prevention Hotline number. You need help out the mental health crisis, 988. Uh, we have legislation now that will finalize that number. We've been working with the FCC to determine what the right number is. We've got that. And uh, hopefully we get this across the finish line in the next couple months. You, you talk about uh, the, the, the problem broadly uh, around the nation. Uh, I can tell you and, and attest to, to something you said there that in years past, you, you don't think about it that much, but that in these days, we can probably all think of someone. That's absolutely the case uh, in my circumstance. I've had a few friends uh, who succumbed to these pressures and, and took their own life, and it's a heartbreaking thing, uh, certainly for, for me as, as a friend, but I know, too, uh, also for their family members. Let me ask you, uh, you've been at this for about three years. Uh, there are a number of other ways to spend your time. There are a number of other initiatives to take up, and there are a number of other ways to use your clout as a member of Congress. Yeah. Why have Why you this? selected this? Yeah, that's an interesting question, and, and it's one of those things where I look at it and go, I don't know. It just We saw the opportunity. We saw that they, there was something we could do to help, and, and we grabbed hold of it, and I became the guy. Uh, now, some of that to give credit to Senator Thatcher and, and uh, some other local uh, leaders here who were, uh, you know, the genesis for Daniel this. Daniel Thatcher, that, you're referring to? Yeah, and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, a, a couple others. And, uh, you know, we've worked with them, but we needed to do it on a national level, level, not something here in the state. So I think that it's one of those things where you just realize, hey, this is a problem. We think we have a solution. Let's try and implement the solution. Now, uh, as an interesting sidebar, again, um, not terribly controversial. I mean, who doesn't support this? Not, doesn't cost any money, bipartisan, and yet it still took us three years to get it through Congress, and it just kind of shows that things move very, very slowly. You have to be tenacious. You have to keep pushing at it. But we're, we're so close now. As I said, the FCC has released their study on what the number will be. We hope the commissioner or the uh, the FCC director will come out here and make this announcement with us, and, and, and as, we, as we share the, you know, the benefit of, of his uh, or acknowledge the work that he has done and his uh, committee has done. Uh, but it, again, at the end of the day, we want people to get the help that they need. And, and one other thing, Lee, that I'll mention quickly, and that is when you call 988, when you call this number, you're going to be directed to someone uh, almost always locally who will be able to help you, someone who understands where you are, 
someone who's going to, in a, in a real emergency, get direct services to you uh, very quickly. That will cost a little bit more money, and this allows states to uh, attach a fee to a phone bill if they choose to. But uh, it doesn't do any good to have a, a number and just have the number ring, right? You want to have someone answer it. And so we do need to increase staffing and, and some resources for that. But uh, whether it's veterans, whether it's our youth, because we have all seen the dramatic increase in suicide among our youth, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, m- mothers who become addicted to opioids, there's a number of explanations for why there's a greater demand than there used to be. It's a terrible state of our society, but we just have to recognize it is what it is and try to help and, and do the best we can to get people the help that they need in that moment of crisis. I'm glad we're having this conversation today. Uh, next week, next Tuesday, the 10th, is National Suicide Prevention Day. I know that the folks here at KSL are are making great plans to, to pay special attention to that, uh, share with everyone within the, the, the listening reach of this station all the resources available to them. Uh, let me ask you this. When this is all worked out, when when the states are all on board and everything works out, when the FCC uh, complies and this is exactly the way uh, Congressman Stewart would like to see it play out, let's say hypothetically I find myself in uh, you know a, a challenging circumstance. I feel the need to call this number. I dial 988. What happens? Well, as I said, you'll be immediately connected with someone locally. Uh, now, that's not always the case. I mean, Utah does such a good job of this. And isn't it, uh, once again, a time when we can say, what a great job Utah does. Many states don't have the resources, and they're actually routing their calls to our call centers here in Utah because we do have such a great resource, and we've been serious about funding it and training people. But uh, when you call, you're routed almost always to someone locally in your state or your community who understands, A, where you are, because that's part of the problem. We've got to know where you are so we can get help to you. Where, where you are geographically. geographically. Where you yeah, are physically. Exactly. Uh, where, so we can get help to you if we need to and, and immediately and not have to wonder well, where is this individual. And these are people that are trained, and I mean highly trained, in, in helping people kind of sort the, sort through the, the situation in the initial stages. Recognizing some of these people have chronic problems that are going to take some real effort and some real time to address. But to give them the hope and the, and the kind of the reality that this, this isn't so, nothing in life is so bad that you can't give it another day. You know that you can't try one more time, let us help you. And uh, there's no question, and I mean, Lee, there is no question this will save lives. And it will save lives of people who, uh, who in, just under the circumstances have nowhere else, don't know where else to turn, and we're going to give them somewhere to turn. Let me ask uh, maybe an ignorant question, but uh, what would you say to folks who say, you know, we have 911, why not instruct folks to call 911? Well, because 911 can't help you in this circumstance. They could call an ambulance or they could call the police, but that's not the purpose of this. You need someone to talk to. And, and by the way, 988 will be able to do that in certain circumstances as well. But, uh, but they're not trained and they don't have the time to stay on the line and to talk to someone and to actually provide that initial response of, of, uh, and that initial counsel that you know, someone in that situation really desperately needs. Excellent. Well, uh, in these last few moments, uh, sir, what's, what's next? What's the last hurdle that needs clearing? Well, we have what we call now the National Suicide Prevention Designation Act, which just formalizes the FCC's recommendation of 988. Uh, And we set up the initial bill so that Congress could have one final take on that. Uh, We've got, I don't know, 60 co-sponsors to that, bipartisan, no objections. We hope that over the next few months we'll get that through Congress and to the president's desk. And then there's one year, the FCC has one year to actually implement the uh, 
uh, the infrastructure to route all of those calls to the appropriate uh, call centers. And uh, we, we think that uh, one year from now we should be well into a, a real success story. We've been speaking this past segment to 2nd District Congressman Chris Stewart. He has an effort uh, to make available to anyone across the country a very simple three-digit number, 988, uh, where in the event they find themselves feeling uh, an inkling towards suicide, having a mental health crisis, this will be a resource for them. His effort is to make this available, and he's very close to getting that done. Uh, Congressman, I'm grateful to you for joining us today. It's been an honor. Please let us come back. You're doing a great job. And, uh, is that thanks, all right? Thanks for giving us the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming in. Uh, exciting stuff still to cover. Uh, I'm going to invite you to stick around. Next up, we're going to get an update uh, on Hurricane Dorian. We're going to speak to a reporter who was there in South Carolina, going to tell us all about uh, what the folks are facing uh, down there. Uh, stick around. I'm Lee Lonsberry, guest hosting here on Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America, but this story is still unfolding. I'm Andreas Martin, and my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.